But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. See, when we willfully engage in saying no to good things that have consumed us, we begin to be free to experience better things we can't have on our own. It is the spirit that provides love and joy and peace and patience. Anybody in here need peace or patience or love or joy? It is the spirit at work in us that creates that for us. So by learning to simplify our pleasure, to become sober-minded, to say no to things that are good, but maybe are consuming us in an unhealthy way, to begin to do that, we create space to experience God at work, not only in us, but through us. Hi, this is Chris from The Point, a church where you can come as you are and you can text in your questions. You may not be sure what you believe about God, Jesus, faith, or the Bible, And that's okay, because faith is not about having it all figured out, and God is not waiting for you to put your life together before He'll connect with you. If you'd like to find out more about The Point, you can visit our website at thepointknox.com or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at The Point Knox. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are. Good morning once again. I would just like to begin by saying thank you, Bo. I actually love a crying baby in church, so thank you. And I mean that wholeheartedly. In fact, today we don't have any kids ministry because it's the second Sunday of the month and we believe children belong in here just like adults. Uh, They belong with us as the church and they're welcome to come as they are. So if you have kids, especially younger kids, and they start to throw things like mine is probably going to do, or they start to cry really loudly, that's okay. We love them here in this place. And with that, also, if you have little kids still in diapers, or bigger kids in diapers, but this may not be helpful for them, we do have a changing table right back here by the men's restroom, so please feel free to use that if you need it. I know sometimes not knowing what to do with a stinky diaper is a challenge, all right? Well, we are today continuing this series on simplicity. We're now in our third week of learning to simplify our life. This is a practice that Christians have done for 2,000 years, and before that, other religious bodies like Jewish people and all sorts of people around the world have said simplifying life is better. And yet, in our American culture, we often associate simplicity with lack of success. Or we associate simplicity not with a lack of success, but perhaps God hasn't blessed you to have more. We think simplicity is a means of cruel works that you're trying to earn your salvation by changing the way you live, but that's not true. See, a practice of simplicity is learning to live life today in such a way that we can become more like Jesus tomorrow. And so as we simplify, we have to begin with this reality that we are bombarded constantly by a demand for more. We are told and taught everywhere we turn that we need more stuff, that we need to put more things in our schedule, that we need to do more, to be more, to produce more, 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 more. 
So much so that in today's focus, we're going to talk about our cultural need for more pleasure, more joy. How many of you in here find it really uncomfortable when you are bored for any reason, for any length of time? Anybody? Okay, for those of you not raising my hand, let me ask you this question. How many of you go to a gas station and are standing in line and the person or people in front of you are taking forever and you get irritated your time is taken and so you pull out your phone to do something while you wait? Anybody? Or or what about you're at the waiting room in the doctor's office and you have to wait and rather than reading the magazines that are there or having a conversation or watching whatever dumb show is on TV, you pull out your phone because God forbid you spend two minutes thinking about anything, right? We have a culture that is obsessed with entertainment. Let's be honest, in the last seven days, how many of you binge watched a show you really enjoy? Anybody? Only about half of you. Either I'm really impressed or you're a bunch of liars. I'm not sure. (laughs) See, our need for pleasure isn't just to have more pleasure. Our cultural need for pleasure is to have constant entertainment and satisfaction. We are driven by this culture of individualism that says you matter most. And not only that, it is an individualism that says the pursuit of happiness is next to godliness. So anything that keeps you from being happy is not worth doing. Anything that takes away your pleasure is not worth doing. So let's also one last time be honest. How many of you, when you watch that show that you're binging four or five episodes of, also sit on your iPad or your computer or your phone and you do both at the same time? Why? I'll tell you why. Because we are addicted to more. We have been taught that if there's ever the slightest moment in which you miss out on some joy or pleasure that somebody else has, you're missing out on the grandest of gifts in life. And because we're taught this, we fill our life with one pursuit of pleasure and joy after the next, which is not inherently bad, except because we're always chasing something more we miss out on what's right in front of us. Has anybody ever binge watched a show and by the end of the like five or six episodes, you feel worse than when you started? Yes, you know what happened in the plot, but you didn't truly enjoy any of it. You're just like, oh, I gotta wait until the next season comes out or until tomorrow when I can watch the next episode. We're just disappointed we don't have even more. And this culture that says pleasure is the greatest Simplicity offers us an opportunity to be countercultural. Say, I don't want to be like everybody else, bored with all of my joy. I want to truly and richly be satisfied in these good things God is giving me. You see, the TV shows, well, I don't know what you're watching. They may be garbage. They may be good. I don't know. But certainly the art of creativity and storytelling, that's a good thing God has given us. The joy that comes from engaging in these stories, that's not a problem. Even other pleasures like ice cream and brownies or sex or alcohol, these things can all be good. And yet, if you engage in eating the entire pan of brownies, 
and binge watching the entire season or show on Netflix, or if you engage in habits of sexual lifestyle that is just constantly pursuing pleasure, you will find that all of these things in excess leave you feeling empty and they lose the joy they could otherwise bring. So today we're gonna begin in Galatians chapter five. You see, all of our teaching and our practice and our life, if it's not centered in and founded in scripture, it's really not worth doing. Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 13. In Galatians, Paul is writing to a church that is torn. And they are torn because there are some in the church who say, you must do certain things in order to be saved. You must be circumcised like the Jews were. You must celebrate the holidays like we used to celebrate. If you don't worship like everybody else, you're missing the point and you might not even be Christian. And Paul, he writes and he says, none of that matters, don't you know? It's all about Jesus. You have this profound freedom in Jesus to do anything. But that doesn't mean everything is good for you. In fact, he goes on to say this in verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love the Lord or shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul, he says, we have been given this great freedom because Christ alone is sufficient, because we add nothing to the work that he's doing, because we are fully saved and fully forgiven and fully loved. Because of all of that, you are free to do anything. But don't allow your freedom to lead you down this pursuit of all the desires of your flesh. See, if your freedom becomes an opportunity for the flesh, we fail to love. Now, the flesh, when Paul refers to that, he's often talking about that within us that is broken and sinful, that within us that is not yet fully in line with the way God intended things to be or desires life to be lived. And so Paul is writing, he says, just because you're free doesn't mean everything's good for you. If in your freedom you pursue whatever feels good or right in the moment, you are missing out on this life God has. And it becomes really difficult to love your neighbor. See, all of our simplicity series, our learning to become like Jesus is just an effort to learn how to love better. First, we learn how to love God by eliminating things that are distracting us. And then we learn how to love our neighbor more. Now Paul, he continues, he says this, but I say, instead of the desires of the flesh, instead of using your freedom to do whatever feels good, here's what Paul encourages. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So the truth is everything we want to do and even everything we can do may not be worth doing. It may not actually fill you with a life of joy 
or love or peace. Paul says the things within you that are broken and misfocused or misaligned, those things are at odds with the things of God. God is constantly in the process of drawing us not only to himself, but to his good will, his good plans, his good and perfect love for us and for others. But that requires saying no to the desires of the flesh. Paul, he continues, and he says this, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. See, if we're living in such a way that the things we do are from God, there is nothing that can condemn us of any of our behavior. Now, in some contexts and circles, there's this teaching that says, if you love Jesus enough, you will stop sinning altogether. I fully disagree with that. I think because I love Jesus, I simply recognize my sin all the more. Like, I would like to stop sinning, but the truth is my DNA is wired right now towards things that are not good. There is nothing I can do to change the way God made me, and I am always going to be, on this side of Christ's return, unable to be perfect. But when he returns, all of that sinful nature within me will be once and for all taken away and destroyed. When he returns, all of my striving to pursue what is good and to say no to what is bad, all of my desire to walk with the spirit and not in the flesh, all of this will be fulfilled in that day. But until then, every day I wake up with the reality I am still not who I want to be and there is still brokenness inside of me. And so today, just like yesterday and maybe even more, I need the grace of Christ in my life. I need his love, I need his forgiveness, I need his strength, I need his courage, and I need to walk with him today anew. Then he continues and he begins to describe some of the works of the flesh. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Anybody in here perfectly able to not participate in things that are desires of the flesh? See, all of these desires he lists, these things that are not good, They stem from a place of good. In every one of them, there is a good joy and pleasure to be found that is being twisted into something altogether different. Take, for example, drunkenness, which he mentions here. Throughout scripture, alcohol is given as a blessing from God. Wine is seen as a sign of great joy. But every single time in scripture, somebody overindulges in this good gift. It's bad. Some say because of that we should avoid alcohol altogether. And for you, perhaps that's true. I don't think that has to be the case for all of us. But for all of us, overindulgence is always a problem. Not just of alcohol. He describes other things like envy, divisions, dissensions. How often do we give our energy to division, to envy? See, divisions aren't inherently bad. 
Because there are good times to divide. Like when your family grows and your kids move out of the house, that's really good that you're dividing and have two households now. I want my kids one day to move out. I, I can't wait. It'll be a while, but it'll be exciting, right? Like some division is good. We celebrate that there's growth and that life is multiplying and that things are happening and other division is intended to tear down, to destroy, to kill. The division by itself is not bad, but what is the aim of that division? What is the fruit of that division? What happens as a result? How often do we, in the name of something good and right and true, divide ourselves in a very unhealthy way from people who think or act or feel differently than we do? Paul says, that's not good. That is not God's plan. I don't know if you know this, but it is more than okay and in fact probably really encouraged to befriend somebody who thinks differently than you. Did you know that? Paul, he gives a couple different examples about sexual immorality and the ways those can corrupt because they come from the flesh. And the truth is, sex is a good gift from God. It's a pleasure he's intended to be good. But every one of us in our brokenness wants to twist it into something it's not. It is not our ultimate goal. It is not the greatest good. It is not a command of God that we must have as much as we want. Paul says, look, in satisfying the desires of the flesh, we take pleasure that is good and we twist it into something that it's not. I don't know if you know this, in our culture today, we have a problem with pornography that is rampant. So much so that it is normalized as worth celebrating. And if you and your fiance or your significant other or your spouse, if you engage in that, so what? Who cares? It doesn't matter, says our culture. I don't know if you know this. We here at The Point do a lot of work with the Community Coalition Against Human Trafficking. And pornography is one of the largest drivers of demand for trafficking. So while participating may feel innocent... Somebody's getting hurt in the process. Not only this, statistically we're finding that this engagement in this good pleasure amongst the younger generation is such that we have the highest rate of impotence amongst 20 and 30 year old men because they're so overindulged in a pleasure that things that are good actually no longer satisfy. This is the case for all of us. When we pursue more and more and more of that which is joyful at the expense of times that are hard or maybe times that are boring, when pleasure becomes our idol, it actually stops being so great and instead begins to destroy us. We're going to flip for a moment to 1 Peter and then we'll come back to Galatians. In 1 Peter chapter 3, says this, uh, sorry, not chapter three, uh, chapter five, First Peter chapter five. You know what, you'll just put it on the screen, I'll just read it there, verse seven. <laughs> uh, actually, beginning in verse eight, it says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith 
knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Will you go back to that verse eight? Look at this. Be sober-minded. And when we hear the word sober, we often think specifically about alcohol or narcotics and drugs. We're like, be sober. Don't participate in that. But the, the Greek of this, it actually implies a greater reality. It's not about alcohol or narcotics. No, to be sober-minded is to be in a state where you can think and see and act clearly where you're not under the influence and the control of another, but rather your mind is free to focus on what God has in front of you. It says, be sober-minded, and there's a warning, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. See, the truth is, when we give up sober-mindedness, and we submit ourselves to the influence and the control of something, even something good, that is not Christ. We become vulnerable to attack from an enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He desires to devour. So for each one of us to practice simplicity is to learn to resist these temptations of the devil so that we can focus our mind and be sober-minded. For some, that means saying no to alcohol. For some, that means saying no to Netflix or setting limits on how much Netflix you watch. For some, to be sober-minded means taking time away from social media because all it does is fill your mind with fears and anxieties and divisions and envy. For some, to be sober-minded requires us to say no to our consumption of the news. It is good to be informed, but there is a reality that we today are over-informed on things we can't fathom and handle. To be sober-minded is to be aware of where are you devoting all of your energy and your time where are you deriving your sense of purpose and value? What are you finding the most joy in? And are you seeking it in excess or in moderation? Vicar Adam shared with me that his family yesterday set out to do a brand new thing. They said, let's try a technology te uh, fast. For the whole day, we're not going to engage in technology. And this morning he said, it was really strange. The day took forever. <laughs> Like, to be sober-minded is to recognize things that consume us and to begin to say, I want to actually enjoy what God has given me rightly. So I'm going to willfully and intentionally say no to something right now to experience something different. And who knows, maybe you'll find your day actually has 24 hours in it and you had no idea. And maybe you'll find you love reading books which you haven't picked up in years because Netflix is more convenient. Or maybe your problem is books and you find people are actually kind of fun too. Maybe. I won't promise that. <laughs> Be sober-minded because the devil is seeking to devour. So let's go back now to Galatians. He warns against all of these things of the flesh and then he gives this promise. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. 
See, when we willfully engage in saying no to good things that have consumed us, we begin to be free to experience better things we can't have on our own. It is the spirit that provides love and joy and peace and patience. Anybody in here need peace or patience or love or joy? It is the spirit at work in us that creates that for us. So by learning to simplify our pleasure, to become sober-minded, to say no to things that are good, but maybe are consuming us in an unhealthy way, to begin to do that, we create space to experience God at work, not only in us, but through us. He continues, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. It's pretty harsh language. To walk with God is to put to death everything that hinders you. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul, he gives this encouragement. You are free but don't use your freedom for licentiousness, for pursuit of constant pleasure and joy. Use your freedom to learn to walk with God, to experience his goodness and his kindness and his love and his joy, that in turn you can begin to live that out and share it with those around you. So this week as we set out to simplify our life, what takes your most time. And with that, what currently brings you the most joy? And if you're not sure, what is the thing you think about most often? See, here's the secret. When we begin to binge watch Netflix, even if it brings us no joy, you know what happens? We become consumed with thinking about the show we're watching or the show we haven't yet watched or the show we were told we should have watched three years ago and we're just now finally getting to so we have a lot to catch up on. We become consumed with these things that just drive us further and further and further into them. So what are the sources of joy, the good blessings he's given that are actually consuming you? Is there anything that God's encouraging you to say no to? To say, I will limit that or eliminate that so that I can make room for something altogether better. It's my hope and my prayer for you. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you have invited us in to be sober-minded, to not be controlled or consumed by the good gifts you've given, but instead to see every good gift as an opportunity to walk with you. In our culture that pushes us towards hedonism, towards pursuit of pleasure as the greatest good, would you teach us, God, to say no? To limit our excess that we can begin in that space to experience your love. May you create in us the fruit of the Spirit that we may love one another as you have loved us. And God, may we learn to say no to the desires of the flesh that you alone will reign in us and through us. We pray all of this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.
As we continue our worship today, we're going to collect an offering. For those of you who prefer to give offering with cash or check, or if you filled out a physical connect card, you can place that on the popcorn buckets on your way out. For those of you who prefer to give online, you can give at thepointknox.com by clicking the little teal button in the bottom right corner. However you give and whatever you give, know this. We don't give to get God's love, but because we already have it. Thank you. Now, this is the part of the service where you guys have asked questions and I get to do my best to respond. And if there's any question I don't have an answer to or it requires a significantly longer response, we'll save that for the middle of the week. So what kind of questions came in? A ton of good stuff. Okay. Are you ready? All right. Okay. First is a comment. It says, hi, I think the link to register for FPU online may be broken on the website. We'd love to sign up for the class, but keep seeing an error message. So that's coming up, FPU. The in-person class started two weeks ago, so it could be broken because the class closed and is, is uh, happening now. It could be because the online class got postponed a week. So if you had previously signed up, uh, the lady who's leading it had a death in her family and had to postpone the start of it. If you had signed up and are having trouble re-signing up, come talk to me right now or uh, shoot me a text if you're online. My number, 402 681 5708. Jackie will put that on the screen for you. So either way, uh, we can help get you connected with that. Um, and if you didn't sign up, but you're just now wanting to sign up, I apologize. It's already full. So we will be hosting that class multiple times throughout this year, and you can sign up in the future. Cool. Uh, question, why do we use ESV for most of our scripture readings? Why do we use the English Standard Version as our Bible? Uh, two reasons. Um, the English Standard Version is uh, one where they went back to the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic and they took the most, um, you could say rough or wooden or literal translation of those words, which is also why sometimes it's a little more confusing to read because it's not intended to be smoothed out. Um, so I think the closer we can get to the Greek and the Hebrew, the better. So that's one reason. And the second reason we use it is because I just like it. And since I like it, you guys get stuck with it. <laughs> but there's a lot, of really good, a lot of really good translations, so that's not the only one you have to read by any means. He's truthful. <laughs> More word for word than phrase for phrase. Yeah. yeah. Let's see. This is a great question. And I don't know the answer, so I'm glad that I'm asking what does sorcery mean in the Galatians verse, and what would that look like today? Whew, great question. So sorcery is uh, equated with an attempt to call upon the divine or the spiritual outside of God himself and outside of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the Old Testament and even the New where people attempted to connect with all kinds of gods and to worship them and to draw from them power and strength and other things. And uh, so sorcery in that context, that's what it meant. Today we often um, don't think of things as sorcery, though they may fall in that category. Um, anytime you seek to find your spiritual connection uh, through anything other than the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, through anything other than God himself, uh, you could be running the risk of connecting to a real spiritual power that's not God. Um, that's possible, so, yeah. Two final questions. Uh, I sent difficult questions for last. So it says, Whew. last week you were asked uh, how the church feels about LGBTQ. My question is, do you believe that it's a choice 
or do you believe that God made us just as we are? Mm, great question. The answer is yes. <laughs> For some, it is a choice. For some, it is genetic. Perhaps for all it's genetic. I actually don't know. But I do know that I genetically am wired to be attracted to women. And at the same time, God has given boundaries and said there's only one woman for me in this life. And God has given boundaries and said there are certain ways that I should treat this woman and think about her and talk to her. And so even though I am genetically wired to be attracted to women, God has put parameters on what is healthy and what is not. And our culture says we can't change genetics, therefore we should give in to it. But there's a lot of genetics we can't change I don't think I should give in to. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm genetically wired to be really loud and angry. And yet, she laughs. She knows my family. She laughs because it's true. But even though I think I'm genetically wired to that, I still have a call to learn to not be angry and to speak with kindness and... Uh, rationality. And so for all of us, whether it's genetic or whether it's not, I don't think really matters. What matters is how do we learn to submit every part of our life, especially the really hard parts, to Jesus and to walk with him through whatever hardships come as a result. Well done. Thank you. Final question. I think it's a reference back to Galatians chapter five. It's a it's in quotes, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Great next question says, I thought that's why Jesus died, so that all sins would be forgiven. Yeah, and that goes back to the freedom to pursue the flesh and the desires of the flesh. See, there is a truth that every sin is forgiven in Jesus, but that doesn't mean we all are in Jesus. And here's what I mean by that. I'm not going to question your faith to say, do you believe enough? Because I don't think that matters. But when we pursue the things of the flesh, they have a way of devouring, of consuming. Like it says, the devil is seeking to devour us. And so when we make those things of the flesh our priority, they have a, a, a means and a strength and a capacity to then actually pull us away from Jesus. And I'm not talking like your faith has disappeared. God is certainly capable of saving even sinners like me. And so I, I don't know about that. But what I will say is when we engage in those things willfully or unrepentantly, it's dangerous. That's it. It's dangerous. So if drunkenness or orgies or envy or all those things are your thing, let's learn to submit that to Jesus to be forgiven today and tomorrow and every day and not use our forgiveness as an excuse to keep doing what we did, but instead as freedom to begin to seek something different, something healthy and whole. Is that it? Is that all the questions? That's all the questions. I put my phone in my pocket, so... So you can't keep texting them in. Now you have to be responded to next week. Whew. All right. Huh. Well, for all of you, whether you're a sinner like me or a saint fully forgiven like this man, receive this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with favor and give you his peace. Go and serve the Lord. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to one of our Sunday morning messages. If this message has made an impact in your life, 
please let us know. Simply fill out the Contact Us page on thepointknox.com. And if you'd like to be a part of supporting The Point Ministry, simply go to thepointknox.com forward slash support. Don't hesitate to contact us or join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We pray this message has an impact in your life or at least makes it easy for you to connect with God where you are.